Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Jason Paredes. Pastor Paredes first came to Fielder in 2005. In August of 2016, he humbly assumed the role of lead pastor of the church, a role he hopes to fill for the next 30 years. He's originally from Oak Cliff and has been married since 2001 to his wife, Virginia, and is the father of five daughters and one son. Without further ado, Pastor Jason Paredes. Brother, thank you. That was an introduction, right? I'm going to take you everywhere, man. That's an introduction right there. I'm grateful to get to be here uh, with you guys and just to share the Word of God. Uh, It's interesting, um, you know, talked about how God can use anybody. I was just sharing the story. I was talking uh, with Luis about the background I came from. I lead a church right now that is uh, way bigger than I ever thought I would lead. I didn't build the church. Uh, I actually snuck in there on like the lowest possible pastoral totem pole 18 years ago. And God just has a sense of humor. He just kept opening doors for me. And somehow, some crazy way, I ended up as the pastor of the church. But before I came to the church I'm at now, Fielder, I was rejected to be considered as the pastor of a church of 35 people. If any of you are looking to do ministry, to be a pastor, let me go ahead and tell you what that means. It means you can go nowhere. Like there's not a church you're going to be allowed to lead when you get rejected by a church of 35 people. Uh, So I, I got that. I was done. Like this is right after seminary. Uh, I'm, it's over. I picked the wrong career. Uh, what other possibilities are there for me? And so to see that and to know that I get to lead a church of thousands of people, uh, I just, I stand before you to go, God really does. Uh, he uses the weak to shame the strong and the foolish to shame the wise. Um, the stupid to shame the intelligent, but you're not supposed to say that in chapel. So um, I'm, I'm a testament to it. I'm grateful to get to share the word of God with you. Uh, I really, I, this word that I want to share with you is something the Lord put on my heart specifically because I think you guys are the, the generation of people who are crazy enough, and, and I mean this in the, in the good way, foolish enough, reckless enough to say, God, you can do anything and you can use me to do it. Like there really is nothing impossible. And I believe revival is going to break out in the church and I believe it's not going to happen through me. I believe it's going to happen through you. And so this word is just something I believe will be the seedbed for how God is going to move in the future because of you, but it's going to require that you come to a place and a position where you say, God, you can do whatever you want to with me. And, and that's, that's what I want to teach you. It's something that happened to me uh, a, a little over a year ago that uh, I, think, I think you need to hear about, and I want you to see how God's Word speaks into what I learned and what He's teaching me and what He wants to teach you. I've got to begin with the story, though. So for me to to share the story of what happened a little over a year ago, you have to know what happened a little bit before that. So I had the worst injury of my life about uh, 14 months ago. Uh, I had my left hamstring completely ripped off of my pelvis. 
and uh, it happened, sadly, by uh, playing a game of wiffle ball with my staff. <laughs> Sincerely, I'm going to pick up a, a, a like the players, I wasn't even like an athletic move or anything. Like I'm going to pick up the wiffle ball and my left foot hits a mud pile I don't see or a little mud area. My foot slips so hard, it rips my hamstring right off my leg. I didn't know it at the time. I just knew it hurt really bad. I don't know. Dalen, were you there when that happened? It was rugged, wasn't it? Like the whole staff is looking at me. This was at a staff retreat and I can't walk. I'm like, some, some doesn't work anymore. I don't know what happened. Uh, so it, it was horrible, uh, exceptionally painful. Uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, I had surgery where they had to put a little disc in with these wires that come down up and screw it into my the little hook on your pelvis. And then he had to go in there and pull up my hamstring because it was kind of like dangling in the bottom of my leg and reattach. And it's as painful as it sounds uh, to do it. But after that, I had six weeks where I had to use crutches all the time. And for the first four weeks, I couldn't bear any weight on my left leg. And if I did, I ran the risk of ripping the hamstring right back off again because it, it had to re-anchor. And so um, these were the crutches that I used. You have to buy pads and stuff for them. If any of you have ever walked on crutches, you know how much it stinks to walk on crutches. And for six weeks, I, I had to use crutches all the time. And I couldn't bear weight on my left foot. So the whole time, every, everywhere I go, I'm, I'm doing one leg. Your hands get tired. Your armpits get tired. Everything gets tired. This one particular Sunday, it was about three and a half weeks after surgery. And, and I'm going to preach. Now, I have to preach sitting down because I, I couldn't stand. But I'm down front, and, and I'm worshiping the Lord during the worship time before I go up to preach. And I'm standing like this because I can't put weight on my foot, and i got to use my crutches. But I want to stand and praise the Lord. I'm not going to sit down while everybody's praising the Lord. So I'm standing there and I'm praising the Lord. And it's just a moving song. I can't remember what song it was, but my heart was stirred. God started to bring to my mind all these good things that he's done. I live in a country where I could have an operation. I, I have a, a job where I have health insurance and, and I, I, I'm able to continue to work even though I'm recovering. Like I, I have all these blessings and, and church and family. And I'm just, I'm just being flooded with all these thoughts of the blessings I have. And I just wanted to praise God. Now, I don't know how you are. When I, when I really want to praise God, I want to lift my hands and praise to God. But I had a problem. I get the crutches on here and this is as high as I could get. <laughs> Couldn't get past that. And it just didn't feel like it was enough. But I didn't know what to do, so I just stood there for a while praising the Lord. And then this craziest thought hit me. Now, here's what you need to know. None of this is audible. It's not like the voice of God, but a deep impression that the, the Spirit was speaking to me. And I felt the Spirit saying, if you want to praise me, I want you to raise your crutches in the air of praise to me. Now, I'm sitting in the front of the church. I'm the pastor. There's like a thousand people in the room at this particular service. Um, and I, immediately when that thought hit my mind, uh, I, my brain kicked into overgear and I just started coming with all these reasons like wh why that was the dumbest thing ever. Reason number one is just pure biology, like down I go because I can't put weight on my foot, or at least I don't think I can because I haven't yet for almost four weeks and I've been told not to. So like, all right, that automatically is problem number one. And then my second reason was like super spiritual, right? I don't want to be a distraction for people who are worshiping God. You know, they're going to be looking at me instead of God. I don't, I don't want to distract them. So I'm so holy, you know, I don't want to lift my crutches. Um, the real reason, though, was the third reason. Like, I'd look like an idiot, raising my crutches all wild, getting all Bapticostal in the church, and we just weren't ready for that. I wasn't ready to lead that way. So I'm just going to stay here. And our worship leader, like for whatever reason, he just wouldn't stop the song. 
Like, it's not, not like him, you know, we have a norm, normal number of songs, and we get up to preach and all that, and this song was like the eternal song. It wouldn't end, and the whole time, I feel like the Lord going again and again, I want you to raise your crutches in praise to me. I want you to raise your crutches in praise to me. It's just a thought that's kind of beating me down. And so finally, I go, okay, well, listen, Lord, I'm going to show you I can't do it, you know, and so I, I have, I put a little bit of pressure, touch my foot to the ground, I lift my crutches off, and I go, ah, oh, dang it. Uh, I can bear weight right now. So that excuse is gone. All right. Um, you know, go to the next reason. I, I don't want to be a distraction and, all, you know, all these things going through my head. And it's just, it's just pounding me. Do you love me? Will you praise me? Will you raise your crutches in praise of me? And so after a while, like, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it felt like it was about 48 minutes of the same song going on. And it's, I, I'm dying with this just resounding, booming in my head, praise me, praise me, praise me. And so here's what I do. Uh, I lift them up a little bit, I get balance, and I do this, and I go, and I put them back down. <laughs> and then I say, all right, Lord, I raised them in praise to you. And, and I just, <laughs> this, this was, again, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was profoundly loud. The Lord saying to me, is that how much you love me? Oh, no, God, I love you more than that. And then he said, I want you to praise me. Don't worry about what other people think about you. I want you to praise me. Would you be willing to praise me? After all I've done, as good as I've been, would you be willing to praise me? Even if you look a fool, would you be willing to praise me? Again, that dumb song won't end. It's going and going and going. And I know what I have to do. So I lift up a little bit. I balance my feet. I put my crutches in the air and I go one, two, three, and I bring them back down. And I hear chuckling around and people laughing, but no, no one was all that distracted. And the moment was over and I said, okay, I was able to obey you, Lord. And, and then I crutch my way up on the stage. I get my seat on the chair and I start preaching. And, and I, I, I got to be honest with you, it was fire that morning. I, I don't remember what the sermon about, but it was one of those where you sense the presence of God. People are with me and it's, it's coming out fire. And God is moving in our church. Uh, our, our church right now is experiencing a move of God that we've never seen before. This last year, uh, we saw 318 baptisms in one year in our church, and it's the most we've ever seen in the 67-year history of our church. And uh, praise God. Yeah, we're excited about it. Um, and, and let me tell you, the reason that's, that's happening is because our church is praying. We have a Wednesday night prayer gathering, and we cry out, and we pray for the lost by name in mass, by thousands, every single Wednesday night. But also, every Sunday... I sense the Lord saying, I'm supposed to extend an invitation, like the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, uh, if you come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's water, why should I not be baptized? We keep a baptistry on the stage, and every Sunday I give an invitation, and I tell them, if you've come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, today's the day to express it. We have counselors who make sure they understand the gospel, then they go get changed with a Jesus in my place t-shirt and shorts, and they go get baptized that day before they leave. And we, every Sunday, we, we'll see sometimes, you know, one or two, almost always there's at least one, all the way up to 15, 20, 25 on a Sunday, where people who will decide to get baptized. So this particular Sunday, I'm preaching, and I sense the, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, and I'm excited about it, and I extend the invitation where people, they come down for prayer, and people respond to the gospel, and I'm expectant. And praise God, there were three people who that they declared their faith in Jesus and they were baptized and I was excited about it. But if I, were, if I were being honest, I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, praise God, if there's one, that's reason enough to celebrate. But I, I just, I had expected more. And, uh, and so I went home, trying not to be disappointed. It was still an incredible service, move of God. But a little bit down because I, I had expected God to do more. Next morning, I'm doing my quiet time. 
and I'm, uh, I, I have a little back porch area that's screened in uh, so that the mosquitoes don't maul me. And I'm, I'm back there sitting there looking out over journaling and praying and I just read the scriptures and just uh, honestly expressing a little bit of disappointment. God, I don't know why you didn't do more. And again, it was not an audible voice, but a very clear thought where the Lord uh, asked me a question in my thoughts. Jason, how many times did you uh, pump your arms in the air? I said, three. And he said, how many baptisms were there? And I said, three. And uh, he said, you should, in my mind, these thoughts, you should consider that. Now, immediately, I'm, I'm theologically sound enough, pretty conservative in theology. I go, that's not how you work, God. Like, I, I know, I know truth. Like, I don't have the control over the baptisms of the people. Like, if I do it 20 times, there's going to be 20 baptisms. Like, I'm controlling the salvation of others. So, I'm, in my time of prayer, I'm going, God, that's, that's not how it works. Like, they, that, that didn't cause it. And the Lord, in that moment, said to me, and, and again, these are thoughts and prayers that he's about to, I'm about to tear, show you the scripture that he used that day to speak it to me. And here was the word he was teaching me. He said, Jason, I respond to the level of people's unashamed obedience of me. When you're unashamed and you obey me, you experience my power. When you're ashamed and you obey me sheepishly, my power is limited. I respond to the unashamed obedience of my people. And there's a little bit of a side where I'm going like, prove it, God. Where in your word does it say that? I want to make sure this thought is of God and not of me. And immediately, God brought to mind a passage of Scripture I had preached about a number of years before. I want you to turn there. It's, uh, it's a, probably a story, not many of you are familiar, 2 Kings chapter 13. And I want to tell you what's going to happen in 2 Kings chapter 13. So we're, we're, in a moment, we're going to read verse 17 of 2 Kings 13. But let me set up the story here. There is a king of Israel. His name is Joash. And he's, uh, he realizes that one of the most important people in the whole nation of Israel, a prophet named Elisha, is about to die. And he wants to have one last encounter with Elisha. And so he calls Elisha forward and they have an encounter. And Elisha gives Joash, King Joash, one last prophetic moment before he dies. And he says, King Joash, I want you to get out your arrows, his royal arrows. And so King Joash gets out his royal arrows and he says, I want you to string it on the bow and I want you to pull it back. And he does. And then Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, puts his hand on top of Joash's hand. Now, the moment he does that, this is now clearly a prophetic symbol of what he's going to do. And then we jump into the verse. So 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 17. So he's got his hand on Joash's hand on the bow, verse 17. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. Now, now stop there for a moment. So in this, in this interaction, Joash is very clear this is a prophetic moment. He's saying these arrows represent the arrow of victory over Syria, which Syria was the, the grave enemy of the nation of Israel, right to the north of them, one of the biggest threats to the nation of Israel. And he said, these arrows are the arrow of victory over Syria. So Joash is very clear this is a prophetic moment right now. And then after he shoots the arrow, Elisha says, I want to do one more prophetic moment, but it's going to require your interaction, Joash. That's verse 18. It says, and he said, Elisha talking to King Joash, he said, take the arrows. And he took them. 
And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you'd made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Now, here's, here's what's going on. And honestly, the first time I read this, I didn't fully understand why Elisha is so ticked off. Because he says, I want you to take the arrows and I want you to strike the ground. But notice, he doesn't tell him how many times to strike the ground. He just says, I want you to get the arrows and strike them down. Now, if Elisha had said to King Joash, I want you to strike the ground six times and he only does it three, well, then you can understand why he might be upset. But he doesn't give him a number. He just says, I want you to strike the ground. And it says that he strikes the ground three times and he stops and then Elisha's ticked. And you're going like, why are you upset? You didn't tell him how many times to strike the ground. But what you have to remember is that this is clearly a prophetic moment. He knows what those arrows symbolize. They symbolize victory over the enemy, Syria. And so when he tells them to take the arrows and strike the ground, he knows this is a prophetic moment. But I want you to notice the wording in verse 18. It says, he struck the ground three times and stopped. Let me tell you what's going on. Here you have King Joash. By the way, the king is never alone. He's got his royal servants all around him. These are the royal arrows. And he's here now listening to Elisha tell him to strike the ground. He's going, this is dumb. Why do you want me to strike the ground? It's not what arrows are for. Everyone's watching me right now. And so he goes, fine, whatever. One, two, three. Is that good enough for you, Elisha? He strikes the ground three times and stops. And the reason he stopped was because it just looked a little too foolish for the king to be so undignified, to be striking the ground with the arrows. That didn't make any sense. He thought it was dumb. He didn't want to do it. And Elisha comes up and he says, you foolish king. You knew that this was a prophetic moment. If you just struck the ground five or six times, you would have made an end to your enemy. But because you only struck the ground three times, you're only going to defeat Syria three times. And what he was teaching King Joash is God responds to our level of unashamed obedience of him. When we have shame in our obedience, we see a limited version of the power of God. When we are unashamed in our obedience of God, we see the full measure of the power of God. Now, I want to whisk you back to where I was on Sunday morning when I'm, I'm very ashamed in my praise of God. I'm one, two, three, done. Is that good enough for you? Now, I'm obeying, but I'm obeying to the least possible moment because I feel like this is a little bit too undignified for the pastor of the church to be raising his, his crutches in the air like a crazy person for all to see. And I believe the Lord was teaching me, you did not obey me with reckless abandon. And you, Jason, limited my power because of your lack of faith. And he brought me to this story to remind me that's how he works. King Joash saw the power of God, but he saw a limited version of the power of God because he was not reckless in his obedience to his God. Now, I want to turn it back on you now just for a moment. I believe there are some of you right now, and you are so worried about what the people around you think about you. You're so worried about whether you're making a good impression or not in school, in your family, with your friends, at church, that you're just not willing to be as reckless as God is calling you to be. And I just wonder how much of the power of God are you missing and the blessings of God are you missing because you're not willing to be reckless and undignified in your obedience to God. He responds to your level of unashamed obedience because that's faith and he always responds to faith. Now, that's the negative side of things. I want to move it over to the positive side. 
Because there is an example we have of somebody who was willing to be reckless, unashamed, and undignified in his worship of God. His name was King David. Now, I want you to flip earlier in the Bible. We're going to go to the second Samuel, chapter 6. Second Samuel, chapter 6. In, in this particular passage, before we get to the verse we're going to read, uh, tell you a little bit about what's going on. You have uh, King David, kind of newly minted king, uh, after King Saul, and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is not in the city of Jerusalem, in the city of David, and he wants it to be there because he believes in the presence of God. And so he goes to move the Ark of the Covenant to bring it into Jerusalem. He's so excited. He set up a whole parade and everybody's ready to celebrate. But he hadn't done his homework and he didn't know how to move the Ark of the Covenant. And so instead of doing it the way they were supposed to, with Levites carrying it in between poles, they put the Ark of the Covenant on top of a cart with oxen carrying it and a couple of priests standing by. And they're going and one of the oxen stumbles and then Uzzah the priest puts his hand to steady it and immediately Uzzah the priest is killed because he touched the ark. And David stops the whole processional and everybody goes home with their, their tail between their legs and their heads down low because they've been trying to do what's good and they just saw the, the wrath of God against those who don't obey his ways. Everybody goes home dejected. And they wait a season until finally David says, no, I, I'm, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant. I've done my homework now. I know how you're supposed to move the Ark of the Covenant. And so they do it the right way. They get the Levites with the poles. They put it within. And they, he, he brings everybody ready to do the processional all over again. And they take six steps. And then they stop the whole parade. And David says, we got a party. We got to celebrate because we took six steps and no one died. And so they just start going crazy with shouts and dancing and music and horns and everything. They were just celebrating the goodness of their God. They were able to take six steps in moving the Ark of the Covenant and no one died. But I want you to see the way David reacted to it. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. It said, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So it says that he stops everything and he just starts dancing. We're all going to celebrate. And I got no idea what it looks like to dance with all your might. I just know it does not look respectable. I'm kind of imagining like four-year-old girl dancing in the rain, getting all crazy, looking wild. Like he's just going buck wild. He's in a linen ephod, which is basically underwear. And he's just dancing in the streets, like just in this euphoria of celebration as undignified as you can get for a king. In fact, so undignified that his wife is looking out the window. Her name is Michal, and he see, she sees her husband, the king of Israel, King David, dancing, and it says she despised him in her heart. And then I want you to jump over to verse 20. I want you to see how she reacts when they get to meet each other up again. 2 Samuel 6, verse 20. It says, And David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now stop there. She's, she's digging him right now. She's making fun of him. Oh, you're just so amazing, aren't you? Just uncover yourself like you were one of the servants. Now this is the daughter of the previous king. She knows how a king is supposed to behave, and that's not how a king is supposed to behave, David. You were so undignified, so shameless. How could you do that? You're the king of Israel. I love his response. I want you to read his response in verse 21. And David said to Michal, 
It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. He said, you think this is bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'll be even more contemptible. The the word translated in many verses, I'll be even more undignified. I'll be even more humiliated and abased in your eyes. You think this is bad. You're about to see me praise God at a whole other level. Because I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I just care what he thinks about me. If he's pleased, I can look like a fool to everybody on this planet. That's what it looks like to have reckless abandon in your obedience to God. God says, praise me, and he dances in the street like a schoolgirl. His wife calls him out. He says, you haven't seen nothing yet. You're about to see what it looks like for somebody to be completely undignified in his praise of God. Let me ask you a question. What's the story of King David? It's the story of wave upon wave upon wave of blessing and power and might and victory. David, King David, called the man after God's own heart. Now, I hope you guys being at a good school like Chriswell know King David was not a perfect man. That brother screwed up royally. Adultery, murder, a horrible father to a lot of family dynamics, just made some huge mistakes. But he was called a man after God's own heart, and here's the reason why. He was, not a, un, he was unashamed to praise his father. He was unashamed to give glory. He didn't care what anybody else thought about him except his dad. And because of it, God blessed him. Greatest king in the history, the Messiah would come from him. All this because King David was considered a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect, but because he was willing to praise his God no matter what. God responds to our level of unashamed praise, unashamed obedience, unashamed willingness to do whatever he tells us to do. God responds to that. God blesses that. God reveals himself to that. And I just... I wonder how much we're missing of the power of God because we're not willing to be unashamed and undignified and reckless. I'm going to go ahead and confess to you, I can get real preachy up here. It's my job. And I can act like I don't have that problem. And I want to go back to what happened to me. My own church where I'm the leader and I couldn't bear to raise my crutches in the air and worship God because I just thought people might think I'm, I'm losing my mind. I gotta be honest with you, even coming here speaking to you guys, man, I wanna make a good impression. I want y'all to go, hey, y'all should invite that dude back. I mean, we all want to be esteemed and valued. I struggle immensely with this. And I just think I'm not the only one. I just think there's potentially in this room a lot of people. And if we're being honest, we're way too worried what other people think and not nearly worried enough about what he thinks. I just, uh, it's where my, my heart's burdened. When I feel like I'm really thinking straight, I come to this, this sense. If King David would dance like a fool in the middle of the streets in his underwear because he was willing, he, was, he saw the, the ark move six steps and God was willing to let them do it, if that's what caused him to lose his mind in praise of God and not care what anybody else thinks, I mean, like, how much more should we be willing to do whatever God tells us to do and praise him with reckless abandon because we've been redeemed from the pit of hell? Like, we, we have been rescued. We were hell-bound because of our own sin and shame, 
and the father said, no, 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 I love you way too much. Son, go over there, die on a cross. We've been redeemed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Like, if David is going to dance in the streets because they took six steps and survived, how much more should you and I dance in the streets because we've been redeemed from hell? Like, how much more willing should we be to stand up with our crutches in the air and say, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I don't care how I look. I don't care if everybody turns their back on me. If my father's pleased, then yes. And we know that our father responds to that level of obedience. Who more than us has a reason to respond to God that way? I just wonder. Do we know that and still go, yeah, I just don't want to look like a fool. Or I'm the, I'm the shy type. You know, I'm not one of those who does that. We can have excuse after excuse after excuse. What will people think about me? How will they label me? How will it feel? And I've got to be honest with you. I'm about to ask you to do something some of you may feel uncomfortable with. And uh, you're going to have all kinds of thoughts. And I, I just want to warn you. If you're not willing to be undignified in this room of people that you, you know likely will support what you're doing because they believe in Jesus, how in the world are you going to be undignified when you walk outside the walls of this building? in a world that needs to see people recklessly and wholeheartedly given over to the Father. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'd love for you to close your eyes just for a moment, if you don't mind. And I want to say this, while your eyes are closed, you don't have to do anything I'm about to say. But if the Lord is asking you to do something in here right now as a means of worshiping Him, would you be willing? Like in a moment, if he asked you, there's no music, there's no emotion of this other than your obedience. If he asked you in a moment to stand up with your hands in the air and to start shouting hallelujah, would you be willing to? If he asked you just to stand up and start leading in a song and you don't know if anybody's gonna follow, would you be willing? If he asked you to go out into the hall or into the front and just fall on, the, on your face, laid out, prostrate before the Lord, would you, would you be willing? If he asked you to just come bow down in the front, would, would you be willing? If he asked you to go to somebody else in the room and say, I need to confess to you sin, would you, would you forgive me? Would you be willing? Here's what I want to invite you to do. I have no idea if he's going to ask any of you to do anything. But if the Lord is inviting you to do something right now, to stand, to say something, to pray, to shout, to bow down, to sing, to move around the room, if he's inviting you to do something right now, I just wonder if you'd be undignified enough to do it. God, thank you. God, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you, God, for coming to challenge us. Lord, I know there are people in this room who have been wrestling. God, I believe you're exposing in them places where, where you want them to grow because you want to bless them. Lord, I pray for every single person who's here who feels shackled. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you free them in Christ? there's something holding them back release them by your spirit and your power and may we be found a people who could care less what anybody else thinks because we care so much about what you think 
we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, normally uh, we would be uh, following this up with a Q&A time, but uh, brother, I appreciate you. And inviting the Spirit uh, into the service today. And uh, I'll, I'll allow you, you, you can be seated for a minute if you want to. I'm not, I'm not going to preach a sermon. They're, they're worried that I'm going to break into a sermon here. Uh, but after that, we don't need that. Um, I will say this. I, I know that we have, uh, we are just blessed with students who have brilliant minds and fervent commitments. And uh, you, many of you already have a sense of God's calling on your life and the direction he wants to take you. And you're just trying to figure out how to do that as obediently as you can. And I love, I love our chapel services. I love that we get to have chapel. I love the time we spend in class today that I got to spend with my students before and after chapel. I love all of that. But it's, here's, here's part of what I lament at times. We're not a church. You all know that. We talk about this all the time. We're a school. You need a church. You need to be in a church. And I've been in all kinds of churches, but on the campus, we don't, we don't do this a lot. We don't, we don't do a lot of what you were just uh, bringing into our presence uh, today and reminding us of. But it's fundamental to what it means to be in love with God, to follow God, to know God, to encounter God, to experience him, and to live in obedience to him. I'm all about having our doctrine right, and I'm all about just level-headed obedience. I mean, if, if you're experiencing everything in the world and you're not giving up all that you have to serve the people who are around you and to respect every individual that you meet and to treat others as bearers of the image of God and then as individuals who have gifts and callings and experience, all of that, I'm for all of that, level-headed obedience to God. But the reality is, if you don't encounter God in a transcendent way sometimes, if you're not just overwhelmed by how gracious God is to us, to allow us to be together, to allow us to know that he exists, much less to worship him and serve him, then you're only getting a, a little part of the picture. And so I just want to invite, uh, in fact, if you'll come back up, I'm, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer and then we're going to be dismissed. But I, I'm just going to ask uh, our brother Jason Paredes, and man, I'm, I have so much respect for your work. and. Also, you know, Jason's church, Fielder Church, they're sort of in, a, in the spotlight right now for some different reasons. I'm not trying to detract from anything else. I just want to make the point to you guys. This guy is a courageous leader. He is committed, convictional to the things God's called him to do at that church. Uh, and I'm just, I'm so honored that you would bring yourself and the reputation of your church and your name and come and spend a little time with us in chapel. I'm blessed by that. We want to be allies with you. I love what you stand for and in the whole controversy that you're going through and all the stuff that people are, you know, criticizing about you. I'm I'm a hundred percent behind you, a hundred percent. And just pray that the Lord would bless you in that. But I also want to ask you to pray for our students today as we're being dismissed. Just in the line, same thing that you prayed just a minute ago. I just want you to dismiss us with it, though. Yeah. The prayer that every one of our students 
would encounter not only the intellectual truth of God, not, not only the obedience and just the step-by-step and day-by-day mundane reality of what it means to walk in Christ, but also these encounters yeah. where they realize God is real and his yeah. love is overwhelming. Yeah. So, yeah. Would you? you? Please. You. Let's pray. Oh, Padre, gracias por este momento. Este momento de tener tu presencia aquí con nosotros. No hay otro regalo como tu presencia. No hay nada más que queremos, Señor, más que tu presencia. God, I praise you that you would see fit to descend upon a small place and meet with us. I praise you that you are never finished with us. I praise you that there, there are areas you build us up in and there are areas you tear down in us because you want to build something even more beautiful. I praise you for the challenge you put on us not to be stewards of a philosophy, not to be stewards of a religious system, but to be stewards of the manifold grace of an almighty God. Lord, I pray we would never grow weary and we would never cease to be amazed that we get to be stewards of the gospel of Jesus. Spirit, I pray you would build in us in powerful ways that we would experience you and we would obey you and we would submit to your leadership in our lives. Father, work in us. Jesus, accomplish your mission in us. We offer ourselves to you. God, I pray for blessing over the student body. I pray you would open up doors that they know are only from you. I pray you would, you would let them experience your presence and be witnesses of your power. I pray you would stretch them and challenge them and grow them and use them. Show yourself, that's all we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.